Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. It's good to have you back. It's good to have you back. It's good to see all of you listeners from around the world. When I check, you know, which countries are listening in, which cities around the world. It's just, it's so, so fascinating. And I just want to thank you uh, for listening to our podcast. Thank you for being here. There's lots of you who keep coming back for more and more episodes, and I just really, really appreciate you. Thank you for uh, supporting our podcast. Thank you for supporting our message. And thank you for taking the time. You're all busy people. You have busy lives. And yet there's those of you who listen to several, you know, sometimes a dozen podcasts in a week from all around the world, from United Kingdom, Australia, Germany, you know, Sweden, Iran. I mean, it just blows my mind. So thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you. I was just checking earlier. We got Canada, Germany, Ireland, Czech Republic, Israel, Netherlands, Japan, Belgium. I mean, the list is endless. Every corner of the world is listening in and wants to know more, especially the other side, the alternative side, more on ADHD. So that's what we do. That's why we have this movement. So that said, today is a very, very, very special episode, very dear to my heart, and I'll tell you why. There is something that I believe we've overlooked all these years when researching ADHD. The first time I had thought about the word addiction in relationship to ADHD was when I was able to interview Gabor Mate. I had the fortune to interview him several times. Gabor Mate is uh, an expert in addiction. He's worked with addicts for years. He's a doctor. He's written books on addiction as well as ADHD. Not a coincidence. The second time I was at a workshop with one of the world's leading sex addiction um, experts, Dr. Skinner, who we're working on uh, getting on our podcast as well, especially to uh, discuss this topic, how addiction and ADHD overlap. I'm going to use the word overlap for right now. During that seminar, I remember having this insight around, like, wait a minute, could it be that ADHD is an addiction, an addiction to distraction? And as I asked the question, I remember Dr. Skinner, right, one of the world's top like leading expert on addiction was like, hmm, that's an interesting question. Never really thought about that. He said, it's possible. I would have to think, think about it further. And I had told him at the time that we'd love to have him on the podcast and we're going to make that work. But um, that opened my eyes again to this possibility of ADHD being a distraction and addiction, right? 
sorry, not a distraction, an addiction to distraction. And this is actually what I've recently come to believe myself when researching more on addiction, dealing with my own addictive behaviors in life. And I said, you know what? I believe an addiction is a distraction that we've lost control over. We're powerless, right? We can't just like not do it. We keep doing it, even though we know it's not good for us. So it's a, it's a distraction we can no longer control. That's an addiction. And guess what is the number one complaint? When we talk about kids and ADHDs that they can't focus, they're distracted constantly, constantly distracted. And they can't seem to control it. So you see perhaps a little bit why I went there. Right. And before you jump on this and say, well, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Addiction's different than ADHD. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, as you know, when I do my rants without having guests on the show, right, we don't have guests in every episode, but when I do my rants, I explore these ideas, these notions, these concepts. So you, the listener, can think for yourself around that. Right? You can listen. You can go away and say, hmm, let me think about that. Let me observe it. What do I think? What do I feel, right? This is not the truth. This is not medical advice. And this also is never meant to negate anything that you're going through, right? The struggle is real, I always say. The label doesn't have to be. So you can keep your struggle and you can keep your behavioral uh, symptoms, right, that we then label as a disorder. That's all yours to keep if you want to hang on to it, right? We're not negating that. We're not telling anyone what to do. We're just trying to share insights that inspire people to think a little deeper and further and examine it perhaps a little closer. So I was looking at the definition of an addiction, right? And it says that um, um, here's one, one definition says addiction is a state of psychological or physical dependence, or both, on the use of alcohol or other drugs, right? So they're using that for substance. And it says the term is often used as an equivalent term for substance dependence and sometimes applied to behavioral disorders, such as sexual, internet, and gambling addictions. So the second part here is really important, where it says applied to behavioral disorders. So they're saying that Behavioral disorders, such as like sex addiction, internet addiction, gambling addiction, those are addictions, right? What's interesting is that ADHD is also a behavioral disorder because the things that we call symptoms are actually behaviors. If you think about it, if an alien came to earth, and I've used this example before, and they didn't know what ADHD was, and they would watch a child that we have labeled with ADHD at a school, a child that doesn't sit still and constantly goes outside and climbs the trees and jumps up and down, up and down right? The alien wouldn't say, oh, that's ADHD, right? They would just see, oh, this human being seems to behave different than his counterparts, right? It's a behavioral like you can see the behaviors and we call them symptoms and then we label it as, as a disorder, as ADHD. So a behavioral disorder, like they're talking about here about addiction, is essentially similar to ADHD. 
Still not convinced. Well, check this out. So if you can follow and agree that addictions are distractions we can no longer control, and when I dis say distractions, I mean when we numb out or check out and we can't be present to the current moment in the current physical space, right? When a human being doesn't feel safe or when a human being is preoccupied with other stressors, traumas, events, right, concerns, trouble, all of that, right? We are uncomfortable in our skin, uncomfortable in our being. We want to numb out. We want to check out. We want to run away, right? That's the numbing out, checking out, and that's the distraction. Think about all the distractions we do as adults that we think we're not addicted to it, such as caffeine, binge-watching TV, eating too much, uh, social media, being on dating apps, right? All these, all these things are ways to check out, ways to numb, right? To not have to face what we need to face in our lives, which is really facing ourselves, which is really dealing with our feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, lack of feeling loved, lack of self-respect, dignity. Those are the items that we, that's the work we've been running from since we were little. And numbing out, checking out is running. When we keep running from having to face the things we really need to face in order to grow as human beings and over order to overcome past traumas, right? So when we stop running, first of all, how do we stop running? Well, how we stop running is when we start removing all distractions in our lives gradually. Can't do it all at once. I mean, you could, but it's intense. The withdrawals will be huge, right? You can stop alcohol. You can stop caffeine. You can, uh, you know, there's, there's sex addiction where you stop um, having sex or masturbating, watching porn, uh, you stop overeating, right? Those are all distractions, right? You stop being on social media. If, I'm just going to say hypothetically, if a human being that's wrapped up in all these distractions that we call life were to just strip him or herself of all those distractions all at once, just for this example, that human being would be faced, I want to say, left alone with him or herself. And that would bring up all the insecurities, the lack of love, everything that's present for that human will come up. And because there are no distractions to go to, to numb out with, to check out from, right? There's no distractions. That human being then has to face that process it, deal with it, heal, right? Deal, deal and heal. That's the way we get there. That's the way we get to do the real work. But we live in a society that has, you know, we've, we've grown accustomed to having these distractions and to mostly joke about them. Oh, uh, you know, social media, it's kind of my addiction or, oh, well, I'm a workaholic, but it's really not that bad. You know, all of these things that we sort of laugh away, they're actually real addictions and they will cover up the things we really need to look at. And so thinking about ADHD as an addiction, 
if we think about it as an addiction to distraction, again, you have to see addiction as a very simple, look at it, you know, in the simple explanation of like, it's just, they're distractions and you cannot control being distracted. That is something that is called a behavioral disorder. I still don't like to use the word disorder, but I'm just using the definition off of the internet. This is from the American Psychological Association, right? So if we use that definition and we go with that, well, we all know that behaviors can be changed. And what I hear a lot is that some of these addictions in the, in the descriptions of, for example, the National Institute of Health um, says that it is considered a brain disorder because it involves functional changes to brain circuits involving, uh, sorry, involved in reward, stress, and self-control. There's the control word, right? But here's the thing. The moment people hear brain disorder, they think broken brain, something wrong with the brain. What it really is, is a brain that's been wired a certain way due to, well, fill in the blank, trauma, right? Uh, the addiction. In, in the ADHD case, we could say the same thing. We could take a snapshot of a brain and say, oh, that brain, those circuits are wired in a certain way that's, um, you know, uh, this person can't control their distraction. This person can't control their addiction, whatever. But that the brain is wired that way isn't something that's predetermined to last a lifetime, right? That's what we're sold. We're sold that, well, if you have an ADHD brain or if you have a an addict brain or whatever, that's it. You're screwed. You have to take some form of medication or you have to like, you know, you're screwed. That's basically what most people hear. But that's not true. That's just not true. There is no evidence for that. There's no ADHD gene. There's no addiction gene. It's not even, it's epigenetically proven that it's not even true that alcoholism is genetically passed on. Research epigenetics, clearly not true. It's circumstantial, meaning the environment. Yes, it can be handed down like a predisposed uh, addiction or disorder can be handed down from one generation to the next or skip one, right? That kind of thing. But it's never predetermined. It's always predisposed at, at, at most, at max. And that's epigenetics for you. Look that up if you haven't. Dr. Bruce Lipton was on our podcast and he really goes into it. Um, and there's other uh, scientists and experts that will, um, will prove that and talk about it. There's studies that prove that. So that said, we can no longer point at a brain and say, oh, well, that's an addict brain or that's an ADHD brain and that person's pretty much broken for life and you got to take medication and you just got to be labeled and you just got to live with it and you just got to make it your superpower. You'll be fine, but you know, you'll have it for life. You just have it. That only happens if somebody wants to own it for life and wants to own the disorder. And for whatever reason, a human being wants to own it, whether it's pity, whether it's fear, whatever that is, it's not empowering. It's never empowering. Even using it and calling it superpower. Do you know how many people I've met over the course of seven years that have ADHD that have told me, yeah, but it's my superpower. And most of them, after talking to them for, you know, sometimes an hour, two hours, or whether they were guests or not, or interviews, most of them pretty much 
half an hour after they said it's my superpower revealed lots of insecurities, lots of um, inadequate feeling of inadequacy, lots of so it's almost like, yeah, I have this superpower, but I don't really feel powerful. It's because it's not empowering as a general source in life. It may be empowering when you're having a conversation with someone who, uh, you know, says something negative about ADHD or uh, speaks against the label or something. And you can say, I know. And you know what? It's really my superpower. I get that. I don't want to diminish that. That's okay if that works for someone temporarily. But I ask usually for people to dig a little deeper and to really Like, is it really your superpower or are you just saying that because you're using that as a sort of a, uh, uh, you know, softening of the, well, I don't, I have a disorder and, you know, I have ADHD, but, right, versus who I am as a human being in this unique form, this unique way with my brain wired in the way it is wired at this point in my life. I feel good about who I am. I am working on certain behaviors that I'm planning to change to rewire my brain. And that's all we need to say. There's no need to, to own it or say I'm an ADHD or, or I have ADHD, which by the way, you can't have ADHD. I always say that it's a longer conversation, but it's not a thing you can have. You can behave like someone who is said to have this disorder. Yes, it's not a thing you have. And I know it's semantics here, it's wordplay, but it's really important. Because if we don't use words the way they're meant to be used, if we don't set a context that's empowering around something, if we're just doing it because other people are doing it or because that's what people say, I have ADHD, so I guess that's what I say. If we don't question any of that, there is no growth or expansion. We're just following in the footsteps of thousands of other people who have labeled themselves, oh, well, now at least I know what's wrong with me. Even that statement, yeah, I get it. Look, it's heartwarming to hear someone say that, but it's not the full story. It's it's an incomplete um, exploration and uh, uh, dissection of what you're dealing with. It's incomplete because... What do you mean now you know what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with any human being. There potentially are behaviors or physical symptoms that we would like to, to change or alter or transform or like rewire our brains in this case. And we can. We can. That's where the rubber meets the road. A lot of people think that they can't change, that they can't rewire their brain, that they can't dissolve their ADHD symptoms, which again are behaviors, when in fact it is scientifically proven that we can rewire our brain even into our 90s. You know, there's all these BS stories about like, well, if you don't uh, do this until you're 25 and this development stage and da 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 yeah, okay, there's a general sense of the development stages and when it's easier to learn a language or harder, you know, all that stuff, yes. But there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who have disproven that theory, who have rewired their brain at, at a later age, right, in life. So anything is possible. If we truly believe that we can, and this movement, you know, I'm committed 
part of this movement is to help people actually gain that level of confidence where they can say, you know what, I'm going to try it. What do I have to lose by trying out some of the things Roman talks about? Because I do it. We've tried it with our son. I've tried it with myself. I've seen other people do it. And things are shifting. Things are changing. Noticeable things are changing in my son's life. As I'm changing, as I'm taking on my own addictive uh, tendencies and behaviors in my life, and as I'm, you know, rewiring my brain by uh, doing things that are counterintuitive to what I've done in the past, right? Taking new action steps, new behaviors, trying things out, I notice changes in my kids. It's not a coincidence. My son is more present, more grateful, more um, just generally, yeah, just nicer in a way where he used to be more abrasive. Definitely not more impulsive than a normal boy his age at 14. Hyperactivity has dissolved. So lots of things have changed with no medication. Yes, with hard work for seven years but no medication. And some of the, the symptoms that he was said to have for life that they said he should be medicated for are gone. Ticks. He had several ticks that they talked about and there was some medication discussed and, you know, gone. No ticks. So, you know, there's just so much that we can try before we go and succumb to the mainstream narrative of like, it's a broken brain and medication's the most effective. That's not true. First of all, I believe there are no broken brains. There are brains that are wired a certain way due to experiences that a child has had in early childhood and obviously later as well, but it starts even in the womb. The nervous system gets affected by many things in the environment even starting at the womb, in the womb, right? And then at birth and then after birth and then during childhood. There's so many influences and factors that will impact a child's nervous system, a child's health, physical and mental, spiritual, of course, as well, but let's keep it to physical and mental. So many factors that ultimately we get to a point where a brain starts to wire a certain way and then another, and then it changes, and then another, and so forth. And that can be rewired. But we treat it like it's a permanent brain wiring that is now considered as broken or less than, not normal. And now it needs external substance, external chemical, technically illegal, such as speed and crack, if you look that up, that can fix it and nothing else. You see how ridiculous that sounds? That's ridiculous. Now, again, we're not saying there aren't certain cases where parents really don't have another choice than to put a kid on medication for a while, temporary, band-aid to figure things out. But unfortunately, we're lazy as human beings and our society has trained us for the quick fix. So what do we do? 
we get our kids on medication for a few months, then it's we, we feel good because we can go back to our busy lives and we don't have to show up at the principal's office every two days. So we get comfortable and we just keep medicating them for years and years and years and years and years. And then what happens is kids that are medicated, they're already used to using an external substance to make them feel whole. Now they self-medicate, which we're told happens to the kids that are not medicated. But there is a 30-year study that proved that kids who were medicated for ADHD were more likely to self-medicate later. You can research that. That is ridiculous that we're told there's one way to take care of ADHD, medication. That's the loudest voice out in the mainstream. So this podcast and this episode is designed to inspire you to think if, in this case, if ADHD is actually an addiction, then there's help. Because we can help addicts. There's 12-step programs, right? I'm not suggesting here, let's create a 12-step program for ADHD, although that is a great idea. I actually do like that idea. I did ever since I thought of it, that there could be a program crafted for children and one for adults, right? That would be slightly different. That actually will train them to rewire their brain. And look, there are behavioral therapies out there. And a lot of them do that. They work with that. But I think we can take it to the next level. Because if we treat it as such, and we realize that most likely traumatic impacts on a child's nervous system and a child's mental health, right, wire the brain a certain way, we can rewire it. And look, trauma happens. We cannot trauma-proof our children. I know there's books out there who say we can I think we can, obviously, as parents, we can help reduce the amount of trauma, right, wherever possible. But I'm a big believer that trauma is part of the, our spiritual journey as human beings to learn from, to have these imprints, these impacts, right, on our lives. And we get to react to them. We get to process and heal it over time. So if we have a childhood trauma... We get to transform that as an adult, right? My fa- one of my favorite sayings is, your mess is your message. And so I do believe that this world isn't, wasn't designed, or this life, this universe, isn't designed to be trauma-less. As a matter of fact, I think everything that's in it, in this universe, is in it because it's in it. It's here. I don't think there's anything in this universe that is not supposed to be here. Good luck feeling and living that way. That's called resistance, right? Everything's here because it's here, not even for a reason. I mean, that's even maddening. Well, what's the reason? Let's look for the reason. Let's research for thousands of years and never find it. No, everything is here because everything's here. It's here. It's in front of us. It's in our universe, in our lives. It's here. Not for a reason. It's just here, right? So if we look at it that way, then trauma is just part of our evolutionary system and how to grow and expand and become, you know, more fulfilled, powerful, light human beings. So it's not about getting rid of trauma. But it is, however, I think, about using that information and those circumstances that were traumatic to heal ourselves and share it with others, right? 
And the same goes for addiction, ADHD, anything, I believe, can be healed. It can be healed with the right intention. And it can be healed if we really see it not as a disorder or as a broken brain or as something's wrong with me or I'm not normal. But if we can see it as in like, oh, that's the thing I have in my life that I'm going to be challenged to use to expand myself and grow from. So where do I start? And we say, you start by questioning the mainstream narrative. Because guess what? Culture is a cult. has the word cult in it. Culture. Our mainstream narrative comes from our mainstream cultural beliefs. And when we, only when we question those beliefs, and I'm not saying throw everything out, but question it. Question just means, let me just look at it and question all the aspects of it. It doesn't mean to negate it right away, to hate it, to throw it out. No, just to question it. If we question the mainstream narrative on everything, but in this case around ADHD, we're quickly going to realize that we've been trying to do the one-size-fits-all approach. And guess what? That ain't working. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. But most parents, when you go to Google, after you somebody says your child may have ADHD and you Google, you are tapped right into the one-size-fits-all pipeline of information that is incomplete and often untrue. Often it's a perpetuated kind of hand-me-down, old, what is it, kitchen tale, wife's tale, whatever, old information and beliefs that are simply not true anymore. And I always give this example that when people say, oh, it's genetic. Yes and no. It's not genetic per se. There's no ADHD gene. It's also not genetic as in you're predetermined to have to get this disorder because your dad had it. At max, like I said before, you can be predisposed, but not because of a gene, not the DNA story. It's because of the environment, the environmental effect that it might have had on your father, and you grew up in that environment, so you have the same effects, right? But it is not, essentially, it's, you could say it's not genetic, the way we think of something being genetic. And so we really have to question these things. We can't just be like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. The internet says it's genetic. Uh, experts have said it's genetic. No, we have to really look at it. We have to listen to the other voices who say, yo, hold on. Uh, let's look at epigenetics. Clearly proves that the environment has the power to turn off or on a gene. Therefore, something like ADHD is just not genetic, right? It's a yes and, yes and no kind of answer. And so there's just textures, there's, there's layers to these uh, topics that unless we dig deeper, we are going to stay caught in the mainstream narrative, which sells you the one-size-fits-all solution, which is medication. And that's just not the one-size-fits-all, and it's just not the only solution. And we're here to prove, our family is, that with our son... Kai, we've now worked with him on him with the family for seven years, flipping upside down every corner, every area of our lives to pull out stress, to add more calm, to add more presence, especially presence from us, the parents, 
which included to analyze the marriage, the parenting style, the school, the nutrition, all of it. All of it first, I believe, it's my beliefs, not the truth, all of it first needs to be examined to see how much can we do. That's called having, that's called being powerful and responsible. What can we do first before we go to the, my child is broken and medication's the answer? or my child's brain is broken, medication is the most effective, right? Before we go there, and I'm not saying don't go there ever, before we go there, I believe we owe it to our children to try it first in a natural alternative way. Because from my experience, most of the time, super high percentage of families that have children that were diagnosed with ADHD, there is enough chaos in that family that I could already point to to say, if you heal this, if you work on this, if you remove this, if you change this, you're going to have a different child. And I have, I don't even want to say hundreds, but I have at least dozens of experts I've interviewed that back that theory up. That say, even coaching an ADHD child is really coaching the parents or, you know, uh, having children come to psychologists, children with issues. It's like, you really, you got to work with the parents. So that said, I really encourage you to question in your own lives, if you have a child that was recently diagnosed with ADHD, to question, to, to, you can start with a simple exercise. Take all the areas of your life and together with your partner, if you have a partner, if, it, if you're a single parent, do it yourself. But write down all the areas, and that includes um, you know, well-being, health, nutrition, uh, spirituality, work, family, parenting, relationship, right? Marriage, relationship, uh, sex and intimacy, right? You write down all the areas of your life. Finances are another, right? And you rate them honestly. And this is the kicker. Got to be honest. On a scale from one to ten. And the rating is based on how satisfied are you with where it's at? And the second part is um, how hectic or how much hectic energy does that area bring to your children or child, right? So for example, if you take, uh, I don't know, finances and you're really not where you want to be, you may say oh, finance is like a four. And if you're always stressing out together in front of the kids and we can't spend money, we'd have money da, 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 and be like, okay, well, this is like probably an eight in terms of bringing stress to the family, right? And you rate all those areas and then you see where you can go to work at, right? So if it's finances, you may need a different job. You may need another job. You may need, you may need to just simply meditate more and you know, whatever you need to do so you don't bring that stress to the kids, right? So there's many things, and we started to work on a program um, that's sort of a, uh, I don't want to, <laughs> it reminds me of the existential detectives in I Heart Huckabee, uh, Huckabee's, um, Dustin Hoffman, Lily Tomlin played these existential detectives, right? It's almost like I can look at your, your family's life, and all the areas, if I came to spend, you know, two, three days with a family, I would recognize where the stressors are. And also by interviewing the parents, 
about past events and traumas and things that happen like divorce, rough birth, and so forth, I would be able to identify the areas in the family's life that, that, that could use an overhaul, a transformation, a healing, right? And yes, that's involved. I mean, we spent seven years in our own family, but I've seen it work. I've seen it, you know, work such that stress has been reduced and there's more calm and the children's attitude has changed, right? So all of that, again, we always say, why not do that first, that work, before going to the quick fix? Only you know why you would want to go to the quick fix. There's no guarantee, right? It's not like, well, yeah, well, I want to do the quick fix because at least that works. And I, I don't know, Roman, if I'm going to spend seven, eight years in my family trying to do all this stuff and change all that stuff and money and new job and move and new school and all, and then it doesn't work out, then what? Well, there are no guarantees in life, my friend. There are no guarantees, But if you're listening to this podcast and you've been back for several episodes and something resonates and you're kind of like, I'm feeling it. This is kind of my jam, right? Because that's how I am with other uh, podcasters or or topics that I just, I'm like, I like this person. They're just, ah, speak to my heart, right? If I speak to your heart, if this podcast touches you, it resonates, then I'm here to say, then you know intuitively that This makes more sense to first try the alternatives before going to the quick fix. That's literally, I think I just summed up the uh, entire sort of theme of our movement or motto. To inspire people to first try to alternatively heal the family and therefore the child before going to use a quick fix. That kind of sums it up. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. So I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, More to come. I have more awesome interviews scheduled. Some good surprises. Uh, Should be posting some of these in the next couple of weeks. And there'll be more uh, rants that I do here on such topics like, uh, you know, this one here with addiction and ADHD. Again, look, I'm not an addiction expert. I'm not an ADHD expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm not giving medical advice. I'm here to inspire you to think a little, little perhaps deeper or more colored. And I do believe there is uh, definitely an overlap between an addiction and ADHD. And again, this is not to say people with ADHD are addicts. Not at all. It's not even to say addicts are addicts because that has a negative connotation. It's more about taking back control of your attention realizing that it's a distraction, you know, being addicted to distractions is something we can actually, you know, we can rewire our brain to change those behaviors. It does take work. It takes a lot of work, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And sometimes it feels easier just to lean on a pill and be like, okay, now I'm focused. But it's also creating a dependency. Again, not saying this in a negative kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, conspiracy theory guy kind of way, but it, it is creating a dependency on an external substance. And anything we're dependent on that's external will ultimately disappoint us. It is disempowering us at every level to have to think that we need something outside of us that will make us whole. And that's a longer story. The dependency of medication That's another episode. 
But you and I know that being dependent on another person, a government, a medication, anything outside of us is not fully empowering and can be potentially very disempowering and very destructive. And when eventually taken away from us, cause a lot of damage. So anyway, that was today's episode on ADHD as a possible addiction. Thank you for listening. If you've uh, given me here your attention, I appreciate it. I always say your attention is your most valuable commodity and you, you've given it generously. So thank you for being here. Feel free to share this episode uh, with anybody you think would like this. And if you'd like to download our free ADHD Diagnosis Survival Guide, just go to ADHDisover.com. Download it there. If you have any issue, email us. Some of you have. I hope it all works now. I haven't heard anything. But if you do have any issues, just email us on the website. Sign up for updates. Uh, send us ideas for podcast guests or for topics. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we hope you are back soon. Have a magical day. Bye now.